Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm glad you've joined us. We're still trying to reach our goal for our fall fundraiser, and we need you to contribute to keep all of the great programming here at WDET going strong. This station is special among all of the things on the airwaves. It's committed to coverage of things you'll either get just a glancing taste of in other places or things you may not hear about at all. And think of the things we do together each weekday here on Detroit Today. Today, we're going to talk about satire and propaganda in the context of the spoof video of the president killing members of the national media and liberal groups. And tomorrow, we'll have a roundtable of experts here to break down what happens during Detroit tonight's Democratic debate. And, of course, you, the listeners, will be at the center of those conversations. It takes money to make all of this work each day. doesn't matter how much you contribute, just that you participate. So if you haven't already given this fall, now is the time to do it. Call 800-959-9338 or go to WDET.org and click on the big red button at the top of the page that says Donate. And of course, thanks so much to everyone who is making listener-supported public radio possible here in Detroit. Up first today, a fake and incredibly violent video emerged over the weekend. In it, President Donald Trump is seen attacking members of the national media and liberal groups inside what is termed the Church of Fake News. It's ripped from a scene from the movie Kingsman, and it features really graphic depictions of shootings, stabbings, and immolations. It's satire, to be sure, and it's a cornerstone of the free speech we treasure in this country. But it also feels really disturbing to watch at a time when this president is openly aggressive in his verbal attacks against these people and these organizations, and when mass shootings are happening regularly. It's also worth noting that this video was shown at a Republican event at one of Trump's resorts in Florida. So it was intended for his supporters. So what do we make of all this? And where do we go from here? To sort this out, we're joined by someone who thinks a lot about the ways that ideological warfare plays out between the two parties, especially under the current administration. Political Magazine's chief political correspondent, Tim Alberta, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks, Stephen. So let's get your initial thoughts about this video. What was your reaction? You know, so my reaction was just that, well, well, I'm always wary about overreacting and sort of walking into the trap that the president and his supporters are trying to lay for us in the media. Uh, This was one of those instances where you just can't help being sort of angry and and you wonder uh, just there was an interview that the president did with Axios uh, with a couple of my uh, former colleagues and friends over at Axios and it aired on HBO this is about a year ago and Jim Vandehei the founder of Axios he asked the president in so many words, you know, what's going to happen when one of your supporters goes out and, and, and kills somebody because they're inspired by this kind of rhetoric? And, of course, the president sort of brushed it off and, and, and said, yeah, you know, it's, this is just talk. This is, 
you know. The, the problem, Stephen, that I have is that there are enough Trump supporters who really do buy into his rhetoric. It doesn't have to be most. It doesn't have to be, you know, many. Uh, th- all it takes is one person who is inspired by that kind of video or inspired by the talk of the media being the enemy of the people to act upon it in a way that can change lives, that can take lives. That, you know, we, we saw not that long ago, you know, five journalists were murdered at a newspaper in Annapolis, Maryland. Yes. Um, and I don't want to be emotional about this. I don't want to be hysterical. And I certainly don't want to be seen as, you know, just another member of the media who's out to get Trump and sort of circling the wagons here. Look, the media makes mistakes all the time. We are a collection of imperfect humans, and, and we should be held to account for the mistakes we make in the line of our duty, which is journalism. There's no question about any of that. But this is a, this is a really tense time in America, not just in American politics, but in American culture and American society. And when the President of the United States is, is uh, you know, regularly deploying what could be interpreted as violent rhetoric against the media, and then when a video like this pops up, uh, when newsrooms, including my own newsroom at Politico, are depicted being, you know, gunned down by the President of the United States, and, and he does not immediately seize the opportunity to come out and personally on camera denounce that video in, in the you know strongest terms possible it's just disturbing and, and you just hope and pray that there isn't that one person who takes this more seriously than the rest of us so, so I'm gonna play devil's advocate a little here if you're the president you didn't do this you didn't necessarily sponsor it or or make it happen are you responsible for this? What what connects this to the president? Is it the other things that he's saying and doing that make it incumbent on him to come out and say, listen, this is too far? Or is this just another kind of way to smear the president with things that, that don't have anything to do with him? Yeah, it's a fair question. I, I think, I think the, the, the takeaway I have, Stephen, is that you know, by by nature of what the president has said and done, he made it seem to the organizers of this event at his venue in Florida that it was okay to show this kind of video, right? That 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 it, that implicitly he gave them permission to show this video at an event where his children were, where his political advisors were, where the governor of Florida and his team were, the, the, the notion that the president, well, he wasn't there, or, or the president didn't see this video, so, so he, you know, he's absolved of all guilt. Look, uh, nobody's, nobody's, um, nobody's coming out and saying that this was the president's idea, and that the president was uh, you know, in the room, or that the president was sharing it himself on Twitter. No, that's not what happened. We should be very clear. But, but again, you know, the President of the United States, you're the most powerful person in the free world. You're the head of a political party. And, you know, let's just suffice it to say that if this video had been shown, uh, um, you know, at an event 
that was that was uh, sort of sanctioned by the Barack Obama White House or by the George W. Bush White House or by the Bill Clinton White House, then heads would be rolling. And pardon the violent imagery, but there, there would be this would this would be a, a, an absolute um, this this would have this would have triggered. Um, firings inside of those administrations there there would have been an immediate on camera uh, apology for from those presidents even though you know acknowledging that it was not their idea and that they didn't know it was happening everything else still the buck stops with them and they would have been out front making clear that they are not okay with this and president trump has not done that obviously hmm. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Tim Alberta, Political Magazine's chief political correspondent. He covers Donald Trump's presidency and the ideological warfare that seems to be happening between the two parties in Washington. We're talking about the fake video that depicts the president attacking, quote, fake news and members of the Democratic Party. Members of liberal groups like Black Lives Matter, for instance, are targeted in the video. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Have you seen this video? And what do you think of the way that technology and social media allow us to share things like this and make them kind of go viral? How do you interpret the president's silence on this? Is the White House condemning this enough for you? And what does this say about the way we deal with each other in this country? This is a nation that has had factions almost since the very beginning. It does seem now, though, that those factions are more opposed to each other and more violently opposed than before. Is it okay in that climate to have a video like this depicting the president indulging in that kind of violence? As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And we'll work you into the conversation. Tim, before we get to callers and comments, I want to ask you what you think about the ways in which this reflects the larger back and forth in Washington. We we hear a lot about how no one can get along. Uh, People are more personally opposed to people across the aisle than they were before. Uh, Is this a reflection of that or is the president leading that division with things like this is that what is that what he has wrought in washington so i will actually cut the president quite a bit of slack in that department stephen because i think what you've seen in terms of the um, mounting personal animus in in washington uh, across the aisle the, the lack of personal relationships uh, you know, informing the, the professional uh, work product done, certainly in the halls of Congress, um, the assigning of hostile and malicious motives to anyone who disagrees with you. All of that very much predated Trump. And in fact, I think one could make the argument quite compellingly that that that, that environment was uh, conducive to inviting Donald Trump's assent in the first place. So I don't think there's any question that he has accelerated those trends uh, by virtue of his, you know, polarizing rhetoric and, and behavior, and this sense of zero-sum partisanship in in Washington. Uh, it, it's gotten worse in the last three years, uh, but uh, you know, I think it would be unfair to lay that at, at 
President Trump's doorstep, I think you've seen those trends uh, really um, sort of snowballing and, and, you know, growing inexorably worse, really going back to the, uh, you know, the, the post 9-11 honeymoon period that George W. Bush enjoyed, however fleetingly and, 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 uh, and sadly, there's just no end in sight. You know, we, we think about elections as, as reactions. Uh, you know, George W. Bush is a reaction to Bill Clinton. Barack Obama is a reaction to George W. Bush. Donald Trump is one heck of a reaction to Barack Obama. What is the reaction to Donald Trump? You know, I think my fear is that this can get a whole lot worse before it ever gets better. And anybody who just assumes that, you know, that Donald Trump, when he leaves office, that things are going to go back to normal and that we're going to start getting along again and, and that Washington is going to be productive again, uh, I think they're in for quite a surprise. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter and join us, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Frank on Twitter says, George Carlin said it best. Idiotic public and culture elects its own product. A very searing comment there about the people who support President Donald Trump. Let's go to Mike in North Branch. Mike, what's on your mind? Um, Yeah, I'm very concerned about this video. Um, Donald Trump has condoned violence and shooting people. You know, the, we all know the comment about shooting somebody on Fifth Avenue. We remember the, the Second Amendment people could take care of Hillary Clinton. Um, and, of course, the, the tragedy where the five journalists were murdered because of his constant rhetoric about the, the crooked media and, you know, and they're an enemy of the people. Some, some MAGA crazy person is going to take this too seriously, and there's going to be another mass shooting. I was very disturbed by the video, and I'm all about, you know, satire and fun and all that, and that's great. That's not what that was. And the odds that he didn't know about it are zero. They showed it at one of his resorts. Hmm. So, I've never so Mike, seen a, a, so Mike, so horrible. I, I, I'm really curious to, to, to probe this, this idea that you say this is not satire. Tell me why you think this crosses the line. I think it crosses the line because it gives people, uh, some of his more um, imbalanced people, I think it gives them permission. And I think the rhetoric that he was doing before gave him permission. And it, the last stuff crossed the line as well. But now it's like, this is just, this is just graphic. It's graphic, and I just, I just have a very bad, very sinking feeling in my stomach about this. You know, I might disagree with people who support Trump. I know many. Who support Trump, but they're not violent people. But there is a certain there's a certain amount of people that are are violent, and they've already proven that they will not only just take the physical violence, but they will bring guns in, in, involved as well. Um, El Paso, I mean, that's directly from Trump's rhetoric that Mexicans are a threat, and then the journalists were a threat. It just seems like he's going after, and his you know more imbalanced fans are going after. Anybody who opposes him on anything, yeah, Mike, and I'm I, afraid one of us is going to be next. Yeah, I'm Mike, I really, I really appreciate the call and the comments. Uh, I, I should say here that we've t- referred a couple times to the journalists who were killed at the Annapolis Capitol. Uh, one of those journalists was a friend of mine. Rob Hyacin was a colleague of mine from the Baltimore Sun. And I was as blown away that day by the fact that he was killed as, as almost anything that's happened in my professional career. And so, yeah, this hits 
this hits really close to home for me as well. And the fear that I think Mike is talking about, the fear that Tim Alberta, you have been referring to, is 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 very real. Uh, Mike, I really appreciate the call and the comments. Let's go to Stanley in Royal Oak. Stanley, welcome to the program. Hello. My uh, comment is this. Um, I'm a huge free speech advocate, um, but the first time it became apparent to me that huge, violent rhetoric can lead to terribly violent uh, uh, outcomes is Rabin in Israel. Um, If you recall, uh, Rabin was pushing for uh, peace with the Palestinians, and the right wing was just outraged by his willingness, and they started a huge campaign of coloring him as Hitler, etc., and sure enough, as some callers and your your, um, guests have alluded to, it brought a crazy element out of the woodwork, and and Rabin wound up dead from it, and it became so apparent to me. And one of the things that conservatives said once that really rings true to me is just because you can do something or you can say something doesn't mean you should, and that's the the balance uh, that I think we have to reach with with free speech. Uh, Stanley, great references there, the ones that I think a lot of people may not immediately call to mind. I really appreciate the call and uh, and your thoughts. Tim Alberta, I, I, before I let you go, I want to I wonder if you can talk about what you hear from other Republicans about this kind of thing. And I think that's a, a running question in this country right now as we see this president do and say things over and over that seem to cross the line and we don't see the members of his own party, especially in Congress, stand up and say, hey, that's not okay. What are they saying to you about this video? You know, it's, 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 um, well, I would say it's funny, Stephen, but I don't think it's funny anymore. It's just kind of dumbfounding. I have, in the last 24 hours, spoken with any number of, of Republicans um, in, in Congress for a couple of different pieces that I'm currently working on for the magazine. And, and these folks are back home um, in, in their districts. They're getting trickling back into Washington beginning today, but they've been on recess for the last couple of weeks. So I've talked to uh, a few of these folks, and we have pretty open-ended, you know, freewheeling conversations. What are they hearing back home? What's bugging them? What's not bugging them? And we've been talking about impeachment. We've been talking about Syria. We've been talking about any number of issues. When I yesterday on a couple of different occasions brought up this video and just asked them hey you know what do you make of this there's just this sort of well you know it's trump the the, the you know and, and uh, part of that is uh you, you know i'm not i'm not excusing it in, in any sense um this sort of enabling of of the president and and uh, of the president's operation of the White House writ large to, to, to continue to, I think, do away with some of these norms and some of these expectations uh, for, for what kind of behavior, uh, what kind of character uh, you know, occupies the, the highest office in the land. But I also think inherent to those responses, and, and this is something I've noticed really for m- I'd say probably the past year or so is that I think most Republicans, Stephen, have sort of reached a point of of, of being numb to this. That they 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 can no longer 
sort of process. Um, you know, they're just desensitized at this point to some of the some of the more vulgar, some of the more violent, some of the more you know just unhinged things that they will see and hear the president do. And and you know, I would be uh, I would be irresponsible as a reporter not to not to make clear that. For many Republicans, not all, but for many Republicans in Washington, the conversations that they will have with me and with other reporters in an off-the-record setting, when, when the recorder is not rolling and when they are very careful to be sure that they are not being quoted, their feelings, their sentiments, their, their assessments of this president are 180 degrees diametrically different than what you will hear them say publicly, what you will hear them say on Fox News, what you will hear them say at a town hall back in their districts. And there are any number of reasons for that. I'm sure we don't have the time to get into to what drives that. But there is a, a fear, obviously, that they could wind up being the ones in the crosshairs, that they could be on the receiving end of a tweet from the president. But ultimately, there are just not very many Republicans who are willing to stand up to the White House to call out the president when he is clearly um, either wrong on something or, in this case, sort of refusing to to speak out and and denounce something that that any reasonable person would expect the president to denounce. Hmm. Tim Alberta, Political Magazine's chief political correspondent. Always great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Yeah, thanks, Stephen. Up next, we're going to continue this conversation with two experts who study propaganda and satire and get their reactions to this video and the context in which it was played. We also want to continue to hear from you. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Tom in Northwest Detroit, Charlie in Royal Oak will get to you as well. We've also got a number of comments on Twitter. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. As I said earlier in the show, we are still trying to make the goal for our fall fundraiser, and we need you to contribute to keep all of the great programming you have here at WDET going strong. Now I want to introduce you to someone who keeps this program going strong, Detroit Today. Our senior producer is Jake Neer, and he is in charge of running the show around here on Detroit Today. Jake, welcome to the studio. Hey, Stephen. Yeah. So, uh, Jake, you've been with us for a few years now. Give the listeners a sense of what it takes each day to make what they hear on the air here on Detroit Today. Yeah, I'll give an example. Uh, zoom forward to later tonight. We have a presidential debate tonight. Tomorrow we will be breaking down that debate on the air. No early sleep for you tonight. No, no. And of course they <laughs> schedule these debates when it's bedtime for my kids, right? So, you know, I know that tonight we will be, I'll be scrambling to figure that out, but we will also, as we're watching the debate, you and me, my co-producer Anna, Marie Seisling, uh, Joan Isabella, our program director, will be texting each other saying, did you hear what Beto just said? Did you hear uh, what, what Biden just said? We need to we need to pull that cut for tomorrow, which means that's the sound that you will hear as we're setting up these conversations. You won't, uh, you know, it's so seamless. It seems like it just sort of comes together when you're listening to it. It takes a lot of work to illustrate 
the points that we're trying to make, set up the the conversations that we want to have on the show. And I, I also challenge anyone listening to find another place that has the kind of conversations that we have on the air, the way that we do, the guests that we have, the questions we ask, and especially the listeners that we hear from on the phones and the way that we engage people. Uh, and if you can't think of another place that has those things, um, you know, I, I highly encourage you to support what we're doing here and keep this going because we really cannot do it without your help. And, and one of the reasons that we're able to do some of the things that you're talking about, Jake, is because of the experiences that people like you had before they came here to work on the show. Talk about the things that you've done as a journalist here in the state of Michigan. A long and winding road, uh, even outside of uh, Michigan. I actually started in Barrow, Alaska, which is the northernmost (laughs) city in the United States, right on the Arctic (laughs) Ocean. Got to spend a year reporting on huge issues up there from climate change to uh, First Nations issues to oil drilling off the the coast. Uh, Went to New York City after that to cover the largest uh, metropolitan area in the country. Uh, Occupy Wall Street was happening at the time. Lots of really interesting stories there. And I covered the state capitol here in in Michigan for four years and really got to learn uh, sort of being thrown into the the fire of uh, state government and learning how to cover that, how it it worked and how legislation passes and, uh, you know, just uh, a lot of wonderful experiences. And then here at at Detroit Today, I mean, uh, you know, can't downplay just the amazing experiences and the amazing stories that we've been able to cover here since I've been at WDET full time. Yeah. Okay, Jake Nier, senior producer here on Detroit Today. Thanks very much for joining us in studio. Thank you. And remember, to contribute to that goal that we need to reach for that fall fundraiser, you just go to WDET.org. There is a big red button with a heart on it at the top of the page. It says donate. You click on that and decide how much value you place on what we do here on Detroit Today and at WDET. And, of course... Thanks to everyone who is making this listener-supported public radio possible. Okay, we want to continue our conversation now about the spoof video of President Donald Trump killing members of the national media and liberal groups. We've got two experts here now to talk about the context for this kind of satire. Fred Volte is Associate Professor of Journalism here at Wayne State University. Fred, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. It's great to be back. We're also joined by Corey Wimberly, Associate Professor of Philosophy at the University of Texas, Rio Grande Valley, and has a new book coming out on November 29th called How Propaganda Became Public Relations. Corey Wimberly, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, Corey, I'm going to start with you and your initial reaction to this video and the context in which it was played. Tell us how this fits into the studies that you do about propaganda and its role in modern public in uh, modern politics. Well, the first thing that occurred to me with this video um, uh, was that it seemed to echo the mass shootings, the far right mass shootings that we've seen in Christchurch, El Paso, and going back to the Isla Vista shooting in 2014. I think it shows something disturbing about how the Trumpist movement views those far-right mass shootings. You know, far from truly condemning them, they seem to imagine Trump in this video anyway as the killer-in-chief. It Mm. depicts Trump as the next mass shooter, picking up that culture of rage and violence, but amplifying it and excelling it. You know, so it links, I think, the president to those mass shootings in a way that 
that's disturbing, you know, that although the violence in the video is fictional, it's not reality, that kind of violence isn't fictional. It is a part of reality. Many people in that video have already been targeted for political violence by the far right. The MAGA bomber, Caesar Sayek, in October 2018, targeted Clinton, Soros, Obama, CNN, and others in the video. So, you know, although the video is, in a way, satire, it also shows a real strong connection with and um, allegiance to some of those shootings that have been happening around the country. Yeah. So so talk about the word propaganda, what it means in this context, and whether this video kind of fits into the definition of political propaganda. Sure. So I just got finished making a study of propaganda. You know, I went to the archives, which are holdings of all the propagandist papers. I got to read you know, their client files, how they trained their people, how they refined ads over time, what they were aiming at. And what I found was that the deepest function of propaganda, the things the propagandists really wanted to achieve, was that they wanted people to, uh, they wanted the action that their clients were hiring them to promote in the public, they wanted the action to become so integral to the public self, so integral to who they are, that without doing it, they wouldn't feel like they wouldn't feel like who they are. You know, they couldn't be themselves without buying that product or carrying out that activity. If we look at this Trump video in that in that respect, you can see some interesting things. Hmm. Uh, Fred, I, I want to get your reaction as well to this video, but uh, I also want you to put it in the context of satire, which is one of the things that you and I have actually talked about on this show before. Does this qualify even as satire? I think we can make a case that it does qualify as satire. Um, one of the things I'd like to say on behalf of satire in that case is that Donald Trump is, is pretty late to the party on this. Uh, he took great offense at uh, Kathy Griffith's portrayal of him in ways that um, the first thing I was thinking about was, well, did you never see McBird back in the 1960s? So, sort of a retelling of Macbeth with mm -hmm. uh, Linda Johnson as Macbeth and JFK as Duncan. Uh, so there's a long tradition of these things like that that the, uh, the kind of late-breaking outrage from the Trump camp seems to have overlooked. Um, where this fits in, and one of, the, one of the points I haven't heard brought out much yet, is that you know, this video has been around for over a year. It fits into a big stream of things. You can find these folks' channel on YouTube. The more recent ones are similar takeoffs of Captain America, of um, Avengers, and things like that, with Trump basically killing the same people and doing the same things. Um, he's committing a kind of violence that tends to fit in, and when you look at what his, his kind of defenders in the mainstream talk about, it tends to be things like, well, we knew he was rough. We know he's kind of rude sometimes, but he's really taking it to the elites. He's really standing up for us. He's fighting for the blue checks. As we look at this, we kind of see similar patterns in all of them. I think this kind of goes to where the, the propaganda angle comes in, is he tends to be killing the same people. It's the same media outlets. It's the same um, primarily people of color, primarily women, in several cases, including this one, Jewish politicians or Jewish act active figures, um, that this kind of gives that a license uh, in satire. You know, it, it's, it's clearly a parody. It's Trump as the hero coming in to do his thing to fight the, the blue check brigade, as they're called. Um, and that kind of allows some of these undertones to run uh, almost unnoticed under what we're looking at. That's the, one of the parts that I find kind of worrisome. Uh, I, I wonder if you feel like the president gets some cover here 
from the distance that he he could claim from this. He's not doing this. This is not from his campaign. This is not from the White House. Why is he responsible? Um, I would suggest he is responsible. Um, I think it's it's the people who travel with him or who endorse him who are bear the responsibility for this. And it really wouldn't be fair to say that Trump did this. And I'm not at all persuaded that he even knew about it. In fact, as his spokeswoman clearly said, why, if, as soon as he sees it, he'll be really angry about it. Um, I think that that's uh, all the same. It's not necessary for him to uh, to have done it to be kind of enjoying the advantages of it. And this is, again, this is part of... Um, a broader spectrum of stuff that he can enjoy the political tide of without bearing any any of the really of the ethical burden for it. And he can call um, if you look today at Fox News, Howard Kurtz is saying, "Well, this is really horrible." And careful to note that he would denounce Kathy Griffin at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very easy for people to say, "Well, this is really awful. This is really beyond the pale." And yeah, but a lot of people at the same time are probably feeling pretty good to see their hero in action. Yeah. We've a couple times referenced Kathy Griffin, and just for listeners who might not be familiar, we should say what what she did. She participated in a photo shoot in which she beheaded the president. There's one picture in particular that stands out in my mind of her standing with her with her hand or her arm extended, and in her in her hand is the president's head all all bloodied. Uh, it, it, it is as stark, at least, as as the video that we've seen of, of, of the president lately. Uh, if you want to join the conversation here, give us a call, 313-577-1019. Tell us what your reaction was to this video of the president massacring media and political rivals inside a church. Is it fair play? Is it satire? Is it the kind of thing that we have come to expect? from political dialogue and rhetoric? Or is this across the line? Is this inspiring, perhaps, some of the violence that we've seen lately, not just in the political arena, but in the just random sense? To think of all the mass shootings that we're dealing with in this country right now, some of them clearly connected to political motives, others just people being angry. As always, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Tom in Northwest Detroit. Tom, welcome to the program. NFAA, not funny at all. Uh, you know, even when the uh, the woman that you just mentioned, when, when they did that, I mean, you know, you know, Parody with killing people? No, I mean you know that's to me that's not funny at all. And, and I so, mean you know you, you asked does the president have some? God, I said that word. But you asked if Trump, you know, has some culpability in this. And the answer is yes, because I've always heard that silence is a, is a sign of approval. If he doesn't come out and say, well, hey, you know, this crosses the line, which in my opinion it does. I mean that nothing surprises me in terms of what Donald Trump has done is probably sitting there thinking about doing and will do in the future. Mm. But they say, don't touch the dial. If you think this is bad, just something else coming up. Yeah. Uh, You know, it is interesting that the president did not yesterday when he was busy tweeting about a lot of other things, mention this video or say anything about this video. It's still Interesting. I think that the White House has not issued a statement, perhaps trying to distance itself from from this. I, I think there's there's a lot to be sort of contemplated about what that means and what kind of culpability 
perhaps extends to the president if he does not come out and actually say this is wrong. Tom, thanks very much for the call and the comments. Let's go to Jason in Ypsilanti. Jason, welcome to the program. Hey, Stephen. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Thank you, first of all, for talking about this. I really appreciate it. And I just want to say condolences on the loss of your friend. It's, sure. it's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Where we are right now. Um, but, you know, we talk about Kathy Griffin. Um, and at the time, Kathy Griffin was denounced uh, left, right and center. Uh, I don't think anyone supported her coming out with this grotesque display, mm-hmm. you know, at the time. Um, and we all kind of agree that that's that's over the line. You know, and right now, well, you know, and I'm, it's funny, I've been talking to friends over the past week or so, friends and acquaintances, about the violence in Trump's rhetoric and among his supporters. And, uh, you know, they, they kind of hem and haw on it and don't really want to face it. And I'm kind of at the point where I, as a very progressive, you know, flaming liberal, feel like I can't, you know, it's great that, that me and the, the people I support are condemning this. But I need, like, moderate Republicans to stand up and say, hey, this is wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, just at the, at the base level, like the people around me and the, the, the folks who are elected officials, you mm-hmm. know, the, the moderate Republican elected officials, if any exist. Yeah, they I, need to stand up and say, this is wrong. I, I really think that's an important idea and point, Jason. I'm glad you called and made it. Corey Wimberly, I want to have you talk about how propaganda – when it's used effectively by political regimes, often counts on people not pushing back, people who are the allies of the propagandist not standing up and saying anything about it because they figure, well, we support this person, we support their policies, we don't want to damage that power or that authority by by criticizing it. Yeah, I think, you know, we could see that in this case, as Fred has already talked about a little bit, there has just been such a pace of um, of activity from uh, the Trump regime, such a pace of propaganda that I think people begin to get overwhelmed and a bit inert. And so one of the ways that this, is, this has worked, at least in the United States during these last several years, is just by the sheer volume of materials makes it very difficult for people to slow down, analyze, process, and respond to because there are already three or four other um, fires (laughs) being lit by the time that we've really gotten our head around the last one. Mm -hmm. But I also think there's another important element that this, that this, uh, that makes this kind of propaganda um, possible to produce. And that's that a lot of it is coded, that there are things that we might see when we watch this video, this Trumpsman video, um, but there are also elements of it that are intended only really to be understood um, by its intended audience, and that is lost um, on, the, on the rest of it. You know, for instance, I think that one of the things that this video is doing is indicating a connection between Trump and the alt-right, alt-right white nationalist movement, um, that there is a long history of these kinds of videos and pictures called memes, that go back to 2014, and this video clearly emerges out of that world, mm-hmm. right? It has the same uh, has the same kind of aesthetic, has the same kind of um, video game like violence, has the clip of Obama at the end. You know, all of this is similar to other memes that are being produced. You know, just one specific example: 
in the Trumpsman video, Trump is depicted as wearing sunglasses. They're these kind of 8-bit, mm-hmm. low-resolution, superimposed, you know, computer-superimposed sunglasses over his face. Those sunglasses, drawn in the exact same style, are the ones that are associated with Pepe the Frog. Uh-huh. Pepe the Frog is kind of like the mascot of yes. the alt-right movement. Yes. So in the video, when Trump puts on those sunglasses, to the rest of us, we may just think they're putting sunglasses on Trump. But signals to the alt-right that that this video this is and for you right mainstream trump support is connected with it's connected with this all right yeah yeah uh we're going to take another quick break and when we come back we're going to continue our conversation about this spoof video that features the president massacring members of the media and liberal groups we want to continue to hear from you as well phyllis and warren charlie and royal oak bud in detroit we will get to you when we get back from the break. Also, uh, continue the conversation on social media. Facebook and Twitter will get you worked into the conversation on air. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guests are Fred Volte, Associate Professor of Journalism here at Wayne State University, and Corey Wimberly, who's Associate Professor of Philosophy at the University of Texas Rio Grande Valley. Uh, we're talking about this spoof video of the president massacring members of the national media and liberal groups. Is this satire? Is it propaganda? Is it proper political dialogue, or is it across the line? Is it something that could inspire some of the violence we're already seeing, not just in the political context, but in the kind of random violence context? As always, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's start with Phyllis in Warren. Phyllis. Yes. uh, My question has to do with something else. What is free speech? All these words that are being used, propaganda, satire, all that, those are all words that describe a style of things. But the question I have is, when is free speech free, and what does it mean Hmm. if you start thinking about killing people, hurting people, destroying a country, destroying the world, if you will, and that, so what is free? What Uh, is free speech? I really appreciate that question. Fred Volte, talk about the free speech implications here. Is this even over the line of what we consider free speech? And answer Phyllis's question, which is, what is free speech and how free is it? It's kind of interesting to uh, look at how you know the study of media effects and what, what kind of effects violence has comes at about the same time we get Supreme Court cases that really start to wrestle with ideas like clear and present danger, like falsely shouting fire in a crowded theater that sort of frame how we look at and how we think about whether something is or isn't across the line at free speech. A couple of important points to remember. One is that uh, you don't have to like something, and you can think something is pretty repugnant and still acknowledge that it's protected free speech. And the Constitution is really pretty clear about how that works. You have to go a long way before you uh, cross into the kind of speech that can be abridged. Does this? You know, it's hard for me to look at this and say that this poses a a direct threat to anyone or the kind of 
immediate danger of a risk that that the state is obliged to you know to step in and head off. That's not necessarily the kind of thing media effects do, um, but it's worth also thinking about what other kinds of things are entailed by these descriptions of violence or by the other ways that Trump does talk about violence. I, you know, I don't think this, you know, partly because it's been up for 15 months now, because anybody who probably, should anybody be triggered by it, would have already seen it on YouTube or seen one of the similar videos like this, the one, for example, where another favorite right-wing target, Peter Strzok, has a hole punched in his chest by Trump. Um, so an immediate effect of this is kind of unlikely, but if you look at, uh, for example, at the way that Trump talks about uh, police violence uh, or the way that Trump talks about American soldiers who are accused of war crimes, there might be a, a more indirect, there are more tangential effect, which most media effects are, um, in that it shapes the way people think about um, how America should look at its own folks when they're accused of war crimes, how we should look at first responders when they're accused, as in the case just the other night, of like totally ignoring their training and killing somebody in their own home without even announcing who they were. Um, so normalizing those kinds of violence or shifting the dialogue so that we're talking about those rather than some of the other present things are the kind of indirect effects that are worrisome. Do they get up to free speech? Again, that's a really, that's a really dangerous question where we want to be afraid of going. So quick sidelight on that. There was a, a famous case from 1947, uh, Arthur Terminello, a uh, priest who was kind of known as the Coughlin of the South, held a rally in Chicago. Things got very out of hand. The cops told him to shut it down. He didn't, and they ran him in for that. Case went up to the Supreme Court as to whether his freedom of speech was being abridged because he didn't stop when he was told to. And Robert Jackson on the Supreme Court, who had been a judge at Nuremberg, in a dissent to that case, wrote a really interesting I thought commentary, which was that uh, no liberty is very long secure if its abuse is inseparable from its enjoyment. Now, the the First Amendment's hung in pretty well in the ensuing 70 years, <laughs> but I think that's still a good caution to remember is if you can't enjoy something without abusing it, at some point somebody might raise a question about it. Yeah. Corey Wimberly, I'm curious of, uh, about your take on the line drawing that we need to do in this country which cherishes the idea that your ideas, your ideas, my ideas, they are all supposed to be welcome in the marketplace of ideas. Is this something that fits on the outside of that marketplace? Well, I think there's kind of a legal question, and there's a question of our social and political norms we want to uphold even beyond the question of uh, legality. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty clear that... Um, this Trumpsman video and other videos like it more broadly, the alt-right culture um, has and is crossing the line pretty often between satire and action. We've seen far-right mass shootings um, occur over the globe now and very frequently. Many, uh, several of these mass shootings have been live-streamed on Twitch or other places so that the figures in the, in the alt-right can watch them as these shootings are occurring. So, yes, it's clearly uh, satire in a way, but it also is tied to actual shootings and actual violence that in some ways looks a lot like what we saw in the, in, in the video. So although I think we'd be right to say this is speech and maybe it's legally protected, I also think that we would also be very right to, to be worried about it, to condemn it, and to recognize that this video is not just satire, is not just a bit of fiction or hyperbole, but it is connected with and comes out of movements where shootings like these 
occur and are occurring regularly mm-hmm. and are incited by material like this. So there's a very real connection between videos like this and this video and actual and cultures of actual material violence. Mm. Uh, Fred, uh, we've got about a couple minutes left here. I, I, I want to ask you whether you think there's something constructive that comes out of this. I always wonder that when things like this happen. Is there a lesson perhaps to be drawn from this kind of this kind of satire, from this kind of conversation about it? What what should we be learning? If I could offer one thing maybe for the media to learn, being, you know, a, jur- a former journalist who now looks at it from the outside, um, it would be, why don't we think about no longer um, making things news just because they've gone viral? Uh, maybe our, our best role in this is to say, well, that's, that's constructive and that's free speech, but we don't need to make it part of a discourse. And that maybe one of the, one of the more constructive things that media could do is say, this is not something we want to talk about. You guys can go and have your free speech um, somewhere else. You don't get to borrow our amplifier for that. Uh, and if nothing else, by saying, okay, free speech is fine, come back when you're done having that kind of free speech, and we'll be having free speech about something else that we can use with our amplifier. Lessons like this, you know, it's whether they cause harm or not, it's always a good chance to step back and say, why did we make this news? Because news is not this naturally occurring element. People have choices when they recognize it, uh, when they amplify it, when they spread it, when they ask for responses to it. And that may be a place where effectively people could step in and say, let's steer this in a different direction. Hmm. It's always a tough call for media outlets, of course, because in some ways it's news, right? Sure. It, it's news that the president appears in a video like this. It's news that it's shown at one of, of his resorts. But I think what you're getting at is that it's not the sole, that's not the sole question to answer. Is it news? Is it not? Right. And it's not the sole question to answer about uh, violence. It's not the sole um, question to answer about agenda setting in a campaign or many other things like that worth reporting on, but also a chance to steer in some other directions that might shed more light. Mm. Okay. Fred Valti, Associate Professor of Journalism at Wayne State University. It was really great to have you here for this conversation. Thanks for being here. Real pleasure. Thanks. Also, Corey Wimberly, Associate Professor of Philosophy at the University of Texas, Rio Grande Valley. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Stephen. All right, that's going to do it for me today. I'll be back tomorrow. Remember, we're still trying to hit that fall fundraiser goal. Go to WDET.org to contribute to that. Uh, we want to make sure that we that we thank the people who have uh, who have given this hour. Um, thanks to Julie in Gross Point Park, David in Huntington Woods, uh, as well as uh, some other folks whose names I can't find right now, but we'll make sure to thank you tomorrow. Uh, this is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.